Welcome to Film Buddies with Tuesday, and this episode's guest co-host is Amanda. Hi. Um, I am a screenwriter and producer living in Portland, Oregon, and currently finishing my master's in screenwriting through National University. Yeah. How is that going? It's going. (laughs) It's going. (laughs) Yeah. Writing is always a headache. It's much easier to critique what everybody else does than right. to do it yourself. So, you know, it's it's a little humbling. <laughs> yeah, right? Man, I keep telling myself, like, oh, I got to rework on, like, that web series script I wanted to do. And I find myself, like, I'll just make the director's treatment and the pitch deck. And, like, I'll do anything but go back to work on the script, which is the part that needs the most help. Oh. <sighs> I know. There's there's always plenty of rabbit holes to fall down. Yep. Yep. And YouTube. And now that we're all home all the time, it's like, oh, if I want to get distracted by literally anything, I can. Right? Yeah. The world is at our fingertips. We just can't go outside. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just <laughs> at our phone's fingertips, right? Right. All right, so um, this episode, we are going to talk about Mary Tyler Moore, her career, and how she helped shape female-led content on television. Um, So we'll start with her life, I guess, because I think the show is probably going to be a longer discussion and possibly more exciting than talking about someone's someone's life. Um, But the gist is that she helped shape how women were viewed on American television in the 60s and 70s from the Dick Van Dyke show and the Mary Tyler Moore show, um, which I think we can see that influence today. Even watching the show now, I think the jokes are very relevant still. Right. I just, uh, it's so crazy to me because it's it's super cheesy and like very 70s but then you start thinking about it critically and there is so much about that show that was so ahead of its time and Mm -hmm. also not done anymore uh Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of fascinating to to watch like like the the pioneer that it was but also that we haven't quite lived up to the standard yeah I think that's something that we see a lot, especially with just more progressive television, is that it Mm -hmm. seems as if we take two steps forward and one one step back throughout television history and, I guess, cinema history as well. Right, absolutely. So Mary was born in Brooklyn in 1936. I didn't check where in Brooklyn, not the neighborhood, so I don't know the specifics, but... I'm not in Brooklyn, so what can I say? <laughs> and her family moved to L.A. when she was eight. I think I saw that it was an uncle who encouraged them to move to Los Angeles for more opportunities, and her family is like, all right, cool, we'll do it. Yeah, I think most of what I actually know about her life is the stuff that you posted. I know a little bit more about her career than than yeah. some of the like the some of the minute details about her life i was fascinated to find out that she her first child she actually had when she was 18 and that kind of Mm -hmm. cost her her first job but still like also propelled her into the the person that we see in in her shows rather Mm -hmm. than just uh, like 
I, I want to say going the way of Betty White. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's nice to see because I guess she would have been 18 in the early 50s. That's how math works. Yeah. Um, so I think like at that time, you you would expect that she becomes a homemaker or something. The, the stereotypical atomic family. But right. it's neat that she just, instead of going into going back to dance, seemed to go into acting instead, some different type of performance art. Right. Yeah. I also did not know John Cassavetes had a television show. I thought he was just about movies. So that was neat to learn since she guest starred in his TV series, Johnny Staccato. Yeah. Yeah, and I had I had honestly never heard of either of the the series before then. Um, mm-hmm. I honestly thought that her very first role was the Dick Van Dyke show. I didn't know that she had done a couple of things yeah, prior yeah. to that. Yeah, I, so she had a few. I think there was about five or six things that she guest starred in before mm-hmm. 1961 when she's cast in the Dick Van Dyke show yeah. by Carl Reiner, who I follow on Twitter. He's still very funny. <laughs> <laughs> he is and very political yeah, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> um, it's interesting that the year she was cast in the Dick Van Dyke show was also the year she divorced, she divorced her first husband so you know they were together for less than a decade but about a decade and then yeah. it seems like celebrity does that to a lot of couples right or maybe just it's shifting and- power dynamics and it could also be because she was married so young and, mm-hmm. like, wanted to pursue this career in a time that it wasn't really encouraged. So I mm-hmm. imagine that probably has a lot to do um, with, you know, with the divorce and possibly even the route that she took with her roles. Mm-hmm. She also starred in her first feature film called X-15, which I looked up because I was so surprised that there was a space drama in 1961 because didn't we go to the moon after that and six yes but there was still a whole bunch of like sci-fi alien and martian movies in the 50s and 60s that's true but they're like b movies like ed wood movies which Mm -hmm. i i think if i remember right x15 is one of those like it's like super b horror kind of Mm. cheesiness (laughs) so maybe it's trying to do something comedic and then also something more dramatic and trying to maintain more well i think in that time period they probably thought they were being serious but you can't watch any of that stuff with straight face anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah the graphics and stuff i saw um invasion of the body snatchers the original one and i know it's supposed to be serious also but it was pretty amusing it was also creepy but just you know how technology has changed is very comical in itself right yeah and i just i love donald sutherland in general and i know we'll kind of talk to talk about him a little bit when we discuss ordinary Mm -hmm. people but it is kind of like he really does look like an entirely different person than he did when he was younger Mm -hmm. yeah he really does 
I also saw him in something that I expected to enjoy and did not enjoy. It was some comedy set in... They The movie says Korean War, but it was made during the Vietnam War time. And it's supposed to, it's supposed to be the precursor, I guess, to the MASH television show. Maybe it's just called MASH. But oh, I did not yeah, think it was that it's funny. It's MASH. Yeah. I expected it to be really funny because I remembered the TV show being funny as a kid. But I was not down with the movie. <laughs> I it's, wanted it to yeah, end. Yeah, it my I had a lot of family that that used to put that on repeat. That and Kelly's Heroes. So it's a different oh, wow. kind of humor. Um, mm-hmm. Kelly's Heroes is amazing, and that's another Donald Sutherland flick. But uh, mm. and it's uh, got Clint Eastwood too, and one of his few comedies. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, but it is so freaking <laughs> funny. <laughs> that's not what I'm familiar with. It's, Maybe that one is one I'll enjoy. Yeah, that one's actually it was rebooted into Three Kings with George Clooney. Um. Like when they rebooted it, they put it in uh, uh, in the Iraq War instead of World War Two. Um, oh, but it's I see. it's basically the exact same movie. That's funny. Mm-hmm. I've ranted about remakes on on former episodes, so I will not do that here. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, so for the Dick Van Dyke Show, Mary was nominated for an Emmy which is pretty cool, in 1963. And she won the Emmy in 1964 and in 1966. So three nominations, two wins overall, which is pretty neat because I was doing some research about um, awards women have won. And it's not as common, (laughs) you know, obviously, for women to win awards as it is for men, but especially prior to, like, the 1990s and 2000s. So so it was cool. Cool to read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think women get gypped in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, I agree. I have, I have no further comments on that because I'll be derailed. <laughs> <laughs> right? It is really easy to go, yeah, to go mm-hmm. on that one. Yeah. Just pull out, like, my flag and start marching with with uh some rant i don't know yeah um but i think the dick van dyke show lasted five seasons so it the show ended in 1966 i think and then Um, they yeah i think it was 1966 and then in 1969 she created a production company with her husband at the time grant tanker yeah and they did they did a fair amount together, didn't they? Just, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they did the um, the Mary Tyler Moore show, um, mm-hmm. and then they did several films, right? They did films, and they also did a couple of uh, theater or plays, mm-hmm. but but I don't think I made a note of it because I don't think she acted in any of the plays they produced. Oh, which yeah, I'm interesting I kn- that they covered TV, film, theater. What else is yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Podcasting. Uh, I know. <laughs> I, I have actually seen Thoroughly Modern Millie. And what's funny is I know you said that you couldn't find it anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, you and I. Yeah, I saw it, it only on VHS. Huh? Yeah. 
but I had seen it. I don't even remember what I what it popped up on. Um, but I was thrown because Julie Andrews uh, mm-hmm. is another one. Like it's like she looks so young. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the same like Mary Poppins um, uh, uh, Sound of Music era, but yeah. she looks. Uh, but she's not meant to look waifish in the same way that she was mm-hmm. in those other in her most iconic roles when she was younger. Um, mm-hmm. And I do not remember the plot of that movie for the life of me because it just it felt very um, like in the style <laughs> of Art Nouveau films. So there are a lot of vignettes and a lot of like almost they're almost posed in their Hmm. in their movements and some of their some of their sequences like run like silent film sequences so i remember the visuals of that movie way more than i remember the actual plot i honestly have no idea what that movie was about (laughs) that's pretty interesting because when i was looking it up and wanted to watch it because it sounded like a blast i envisioned it as a typical musical romantic comedy because that's what it was being described to me as. But knowing it's more of an art-type film makes me want to find it even more. I might have to buy the VHS and a VHS player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, I don't, know that it was, I don't know that it was in any way intentional. I think it may have just been more of the time period and maybe the influence of the director. But... Yeah, again, mm-hmm. that's really all I remember is the visuals of that movie and the costumes of that movie. <laughs> because they were, like, it was, like, it's supposed to be 20s, but they're still kind of styled in sort of, like, the 60s-ish box dresses. So mm-hmm. they're, it's, like, it's like their era a twist of, of flapper costumes. So. That sounds amazing yeah the plot was i remember liking it (laughs) yeah the plot was just you know it's your typical love triangle so i guess julie andrew's character is in love with this man who's in love with mary's character and mary's character and that man end up together and then julie andrew's character i don't think it told me if she ended up with someone else in the end or if she was just fine chilling on her own so that'd be interesting to find out too yeah. And she also starred in Elvis Presley's last film, Change of Habit. That is so crazy to me, thinking of her in a movie with Elvis Presley. Right? And that yeah. he's the love interest. Yeah. There's something that just feels so, like, odd about that. Maybe because <laughs> she's so... Like, she seems so wholesome, probably mm-hmm. because of, like, the things that I've been exposed to her in. Um, right. But then knowing, like, his, like, marriage to a 14-year-old and drug right. habits and, mm-hmm. like, all of the seediness of Elvis Presley. Like, somehow thinking about them and picturing them together is just, like, a huge <laughs> no in my brain. Maybe that actually worked for the plot of the film because he's a doctor who, I guess, works in seedy areas and then she's a nun who falls in love with him. So maybe they maybe they built the characters around the actors. Maybe. 
I can definitely see her as a nun at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's funny. And then, yeah, did you have time to watch Ordinary People? You know, uh, so here's the thing about that. I've <laughs> seen it before. And oh, nice. I knew what it was about. And I tried Great. to watch it again. And it was one of those things that, uh, like, one of those films that are really, uh, like, they're hard for me to watch because it, they're just so sad. I have to be mm-hmm. in the right frame of mind to want to cry because oh, it's yeah. just, like, the whole subject matter around, you know, the suicide in the family and how everybody mm-hmm. deals with it and having a teenager not being able to quite deal with it while his family is either like pretending it didn't happen or completely shutting him out and not like addressing that he's his own individual like Mm -hmm. yeah I couldn't watch it again (laughs) so yeah I watched it yesterday it's the first time I had seen it and Mm -hmm. the title I feel is very accurate because it's called ordinary people and it is a very not common but it's it seems to be a relatable story that, you know, that every family has its own problems and how you deal with them or don't deal with them. Right. But I liked it, but it was very yeah. dark. Yeah. I definitely think that um, she deserved an Oscar for that flick. Yeah. I'm not a fan a of Coal job. Miner's Daughter, so, you know, there's that. I didn't see but... that. So I can't compare. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also kind of interesting that it's in the 19, that it was released in 1980 and part of the premise is how a psych, like psychology and therapy is good for you, which seems to be something that we've accepted and then also mm-hmm. taken steps back from and decided if you need a therapist, you're crazy and bad. Right. So, oh, that was neat. Yeah. I I didn't know that that was actually directed by Robert Redford. Like until uh, until you had said something, I I had no idea. Yeah, it's wild. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, but he does he does have a tendency to sort of land on those people centered dramas, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and sort of. Yeah, definitely relying on the characters and and the character study rather than an, any sort of action in the plot. Yeah, I think it's good. I I enjoy content when I can tell the characters are three dimensional and and uh, you know are their own people essentially, not just right. puppets. Right. Yeah, liked it. But one thing that I thought was insane, and this is also depressing, is that, so the premise of Ordinary People is that one of the sons, one of two sons dies in like a boating accident, and then the other one tries to kill himself, but Mm -hmm. is better after a hospital visit and therapy. And then a month after the film's released, one of her sons in real life died of an accidental gunshot wound. Mm. I thought... It was like um, cinema mirroring life instead of life mirroring cinema. Yeah. Because I think she had two kids, so that must have been really hard. Yeah. No, that's just 
completely unimaginable. Yeah, especially when you think, oh, I was just playing this character for a film, and now it's real life. Right, yeah. Yep. And I imagine so, it contributed to our divorce, too, because... Mm-hmm. I would guess like, so, too. Like, that's a hard thing to deal with. Right. But and she I found a third that... husband, and she stayed with him until she passed. Oh. That's good. True True love does exist, guys. <laughs> <laughs> see, yeah, see, and my whole opinion on the thing is that, you know... It's, you know, there's, uh, the people that you love are probably going to be in your life for a reason. They fulfill a certain part in your, in your life. And, like, I don't know that I necessarily believe in the one. Like, there's only one person you can love in your lifetime. I think just, yeah. like, who you are as a person, sometimes you grow apart. Sometimes something tragic happens and, mm-hmm. and... Like, you can't move past it, but who you are as a person when you find somebody and you love them, it, you know, I, I think that that's always going to be special. And I don't think, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I'm going to go off on a no, whole tangent about how it's people right. chase I agree after with that, the though. one and yeah. it messes up their whole view of relationships. So <laughs> we'll just kind of like, Go off, there. Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I do agree with you because sometimes I think that it's really crazy that, you know, people believe in the one, but also there are billions of people on Earth. So how do you know if you believe in the one, how do you know they even live in your state, in your neighborhood? Like, how are they someone that you happen to go on a date with because they lived in a five mile radius of your house? Right. So, so I'm on your team, I think that. It's a matter of, like, kind of circumstance and personality, I guess. Yeah. And and the ability, you know, the willingness to work on it. And by willingness, I don't necessarily mean that, you know, you're <laughs> going to let a whole bunch of crap slide. Um, right. But, which, but which people knowing do. Knowing that you're going to. Huh? I said that people do that, too, though. Well, right. But uh, <laughs> I'm, like. It's not always very healthy, <laughs> um, but just but just knowing that you know you need to be present for your partner and and you know work on finding a balance between yourselves and an equilibrium between yourselves, um, yeah, you know that kind of thing. It's not always easy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we're like no, sliding I, I into relationship <laughs> advice when we yeah. should be talking. I was about gonna say I didn't realize earlier. how many how how much of a brat I was until I was like in relationships that were more healthy. <laughs> then yeah. I think I got worse. Um, but yeah, so Mary Tyler Moore, she acted through the 1990s and early 2000s. From I thought I had found the last film that she acted in, and then I double checked through a different website and it was telling me the last film was this 2009 film against the current which i had never heard of and i feel Ooh. like someone who is currently famous was in it but i will not remember the name Ge- he's just some generic male actor <laughs> <laughs> so i won't be able to pull up the name 
Um, so the lead is Joseph Fiennes, um, but it looks like Tobey Maguire is in it. Interesting. Who, is that who I you're was thinking, thinking of? Joseph Fiennes. No, I was thinking oh. of Joseph Fiennes because I only knew him from period films. And the oh. cover of Against the Current looked like a bad indie movie. So I was, my brain couldn't put who that actor was, H- how I uh. knew him to the movie. Oh, yeah. But, but Mary Tyler Moore also acted in The Show Hot in Cleveland, which also had Betty White, I think, right? Yes. Yes, it does. So I thought Did. that's kind of yeah. neat. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know that, the, like, I'll, there was a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I never watched the show. Um, I keep meaning to because I love Betty White. Um, mm-hmm. But a whole bunch of, um, like, my Facebook feed stuff popped up with, like, clips of them together. Um, oh, I think, yeah. Like, from what I understand, they're antagonists in, in the show, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. I hadn't seen the show either. It looks like something I would probably enjoy because I also enjoy Grace and Frankie, which is an old lady comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so so I feel like I would probably enjoy that. Uh-huh. But in addition to, you know, her film and television, she also appeared in a few plays on Broadway? Not Broadway. I'm not sure where Whose Life Is It Anyway was played or Sweet Sue, but it seems like she really only did theater in the 80s. Hmm. Maybe the 70s? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. But I would think a lot, I think, because she was nominated for a Tony, um, mm-hmm. so I would think that, I would think that they'd be Broadway. I don't know how many off-Broadway oh, okay. productions get nominated for Tonys. I think my brain just knows Broadway as musicals and not also plays. Oh, yeah. So I go, I don't know that she sings, but that makes sense. It's a big play. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If she wasn't inducted into the TV Hall of Fame in 1986, she got her Hollywood star in 1992, and then she passed just a few years ago in 2017 at the age of 80. Hmm. Yeah. So five years in television, yeah. or at least on some form of a screen or stage. Right. It's a long time. Sweet. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Now we can Topped talk. only by Betty White. <laughs> Probably <laughs> Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Maybe Jane Fonda, too, because she started young. Right, but she was more film than... That's television. True. I don't. I don't know that She's Jane really Fonda TV. ever did television before Grace and Frankie. Mm. Yeah, you maybe might be we right. can go. Maybe we can go into uh, Lily Tomlin and and Jane Fonda another time. Yeah, definitely yeah, Lily so Tomlin. <laughs> oh yeah, she's a comedy icon. Oh yeah. But yes, the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have to cut myself off because I'm going to get distracted by some movies I like. Um, but yeah, so the Mary Tyler Moore show, I think you said you had been watching it already before we decided to do the episode. Yeah. Um, I had to watch the episode where um I think it's in season 4 or 5 
where mm-hmm. um, Chuckles the Clown uh, dies and she's like convincing everybody that they need to stop making jokes about his death. Um, like through the enti- the course of the entire episode, and then when it actually comes time for the funeral, she uh, she ha- starts nervous giggling, uh, so she's <laughs> laughing during the entire funeral, and it's really sweet the w- and and funny the way that it's handled. Um, mm-hmm. But if I remember right, that's one of the ones that she was nominated for an Emmy for because um, they're dealing with uh, a t- uh, more difficult subject in kind of a lighthearted, I guess, manner. Yeah, but it um, came up for me in one of my um, writing classes uh, for my master's, Mm. and I had never actually watched the show before that, but uh, it was just really interesting the way that um, uh, particularly Mary's sort of more, um, like, straightforward morals played against mm-hmm. Betty White's where she's mm-hmm. really more of like for lack of a better term a slut like <laughs> so and that's kind of the way that they the way that they play are sort of intentionally um mm-hmm. uh but she's uh for Betty White's character she's very um uh it's almost like um Blanche from Golden Girls, where it's very much mm-hmm. like, I have control of my sexuality, I'm gonna do what I want, I don't care mm-hmm. what you say, kind of thing, like, coming from sweet Golden Girls Betty White. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, that, so, like, later I found out that Betty White had actually auditioned for the role of Blanche because of the character that she played on Mary Tyler oh, Moore show. Um, and then ended up getting Rose instead. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of a twist for my brain and just the show in general was pretty interesting. So I started rewatching it because the whole series is on Hulu. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of, it's just been kind of fascinating for me to watch because, um, like I said before, there's this whole cheese factor, like 1970s kind of like, uh, episodic kitsch like you almost look like you're watching mm-hmm. a stage play watching it yeah. anymore mm-hmm. um uh, uh and everything's sort of wrapped up and dealt with very simply but there are some like moments where it just sort of hits you like how deep the topic is and the way that they're handling it is so much more progressive than uh even the way that it's handled today uh, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of interesting to watch. I do. So I didn't realize there are so many episodes in a season. So mm-hmm. I have almost finished the first season. And today I just had to start watching some episodes from the fourth season when Betty White joins. Because, yeah. you know, I thought I must be halfway through the second season by now. But I'm at the end of the first one. <laughs> so I had to jump <laughs> forward skip for it and see what else was going on and one of the episodes i watched was um phyllis's husband lars is cheating on her with betty white's character mm-hmm. but <laughs> but in the, in the show it was interesting how they addressed it and really how betty white's character is just kind of chill and didn't really care yeah yeah. I yeah I let's see 
Because I've been watching it off and on, so I think I got through season... I think I finished up season three, maybe? Um, mm-hmm. And and Betty White comes in season four, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, But I've, seen, the first I've seen other episodes, four. just randomly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, she, uh, she's playing that the prim and proper on-screen persona, and then her off-screen persona is more of um, a woman who enjoys herself. Right, yeah. Which is cool, because she's, um, like, she's literally, like, the the homemaker. Um, she does, like, a cooking show kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So she's, like, Susie Homemaker kind of thing in front of the mm-hmm. camera. And then yeah. behind the camera, she's, like, seducing all of the men around her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. It is actually hard to to get past the innocence because I recently watched all of Golden Girls and <laughs> I feel like I feel very much like a Rose character, so it's funny to see her as she's still acts very sweet, but in in a sense is a man eater. Yeah. It's interesting. It's funny. Yeah. But the whole um, concept for the show is pretty cool that she left New York, I think, to go to Minneapolis, and then she's single, she's 30. That's not right. really... Now yeah. it's a common trope, I think, on, on television shows, but I don't think at the time that it was. But the thing that I find interesting is that, with the exception of the very first episode where she, uh, where her former fiancé, like, comes back for her and, like, tries mm-hmm. to convince her to come back to him and she tells him to F off, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like... That uh, her love life is not the focus of the show. Yeah. In any way, shape, or form. Like, she's, uh, like, she'll occasionally have dates, and she talks about having dates, and she talks mm-hmm. about, you know, sex. But mm-hmm. she's not, like, like finding a man to complete her is something that doesn't happen in the series. And that's one of right. those instances where I think it's far more progressive like now than uh, than it was then yeah. because we, we, you still have a really hard time finding a female-led show that isn't focused on her love life in some shape mm-hmm. or form yeah i would agree with that because even one of the shows that i thought i could see kind of a mirroring was the mindy K- the mindy project mindy Kaling mm-hmm. show but but in that she is you know, she's a doctor, she's a career woman with friends and stuff, but a, a major point of the show is her romance with another doctor and starting a family. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think, um, like, there's one episode in the first season of Mary Tyron Marshall where, um, like, uh, Cloris Leachman's character, Phyllis, who is mm-hmm. very much the 1970s, like, hippie mom, um, mm-hmm. Uh, like, ha- like has Mary actually take her kid over for the day? Um, yeah, <laughs> and um, I think it's interesting, like that moment where she's talking with Rhoda about, um, like, what kind of mother do you think that you'll be someday? Because um, I think I'm gonna be an awesome mom. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of the only point that it's necessarily touched on, where it's something that she thinks is, yeah, great, I want to have it someday, but that's not where, like, that's not the trajectory of my life. 
Mm-hmm. There's also a moment in her office where her boss asks her what else she wants to be in life and because uh-huh. everyone else wants to be a writer or something else. And she goes, right. oh, you know, wife and mother. And he thought, oh, okay, well, everyone else wants to get out of here for a different reason. But I think they really only make reference to it. They don't really sh- show it, I guess, as much as they will joke about that as a possibility. Right. But I think that, like, I think on some level that's more towards, um, like, to placate the the era where she's mm-hmm. not going to be entirely the, um, like, the, the feminist uh, on screen. Like, they still needed mm-hmm. to make their uh, 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 sponsors happy. Uh, and mm-hmm. people should still needed to buy airtime. Um, but, <laughs> like, it was, it, it's always, like, throwaway comments about how, oh, that's be- that would be nice. Like, that's something I'd like. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something I want. But it's not, like, the only thing in her life. Mm-hmm. Where so much of, like I said, the female-driven dri- comedies, or, like, just shows in general now, um so much of the drama and tension is derived from the will they or won't they um Mm -hmm. like there always has to be a love interest at some point in order for an audience to to be to want to follow this person is like it Mm -hmm. seems like that's what the logic is yeah i mean maybe it's true for a lot of audiences that that is something that they want in their media, but it is nice and kind of refreshing to see it not focusing on romance. Right. Um, I do think, like, as far as the sexuality is concerned, did you see happen to see the, um, like, the, I think it's in season two where um, uh, she ends up being the one to talk to um, Bess, uh, like Phyllis's daughter, about sex. No, I did not see that. I'm sure oh. I'll see it next week because I'm gonna keep watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, it's kind of cool because um, like you get this glimpse in how how many steps we've taken back as far as um like what we talk to kids about sex um Mm. because like and what we don't talk about i suppose what was that (laughs) i said and what we don't talk about yeah exactly that i mean that's the point like we really don't um Mm -hmm. but uh like all the adults in the show are talking about how they found out um some of them obviously kind of found out like the incidentally um but like there's uh, there are books that that come from like the 40s and 50s and even the 60s uh that sort of spell out sex for young kids in a way mm-hmm. that now it's just sort of hidden away from kids until they get like their dose of sex ed and even that's too much for parents <laughs> to handle right now you know and not enough for people to actually have learned anything Right. Um, and, uh, like, the way that they handle it in the show is interesting because, um, like, Phyllis can't, like, can't bring herself to talk to her daughter about it because it's just, <laughs> like, too much for her. 
Um, mm-hmm. So she convinces Mary to do it, who's done this episode um, the night before of, um, like, your sexual IQ. Um, and everybody's, like, uh, you know, everybody's talking about that's a whole nother thing I want to touch on too. But, um, so (laughs) she's talking to Bess, the little girl about it. Um, and Bess says, you know, that her friends had already talked to her about sex. So she already knows what sex is. Um, Mm -hmm. but she's afraid of liking a boy in school because she thinks that if you're in love with somebody that you have to have sex. So there's this really sweet moment where, uh, Mary's like catching on. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. You can love somebody. You can like somebody and you don't have to go anywhere else with it. And I just mm-hmm. thought that that was a really cool moment, especially when you're, you know, you're considering that she's talking to a 13 year old at the time. Yeah. It is neat. I forgot the yeah. best what age because in the first season she's eight or something. Is she not eight? Uh, is she 12? I don't. I don't think she's eight. I think she's. I, I think don't she's a little understand older kids' ages. <laughs> hmm? I mean, she I talks said, about. I don't, the I don't understand kids' ages. Oh, <laughs> wow! I just thought she was a smart youngster. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow, missed a lot. Um, yeah, that, that does sound like a really good episode. I when I was doing research. Um, it some articles talked about how the show examined birth control, equal pay for women, infidelity, divorce, sex before marriage, death, and homosexuality, which I think will be interesting as I continue watching the series to see these other topics come up. Right. But There's I one do think thing it's that cool I... that yeah, go ahead. that shows can have real conversations where right you can put yourself in their shoes or you might come across a similar situation in your own life and go, Oh, actually I've thought about this cause I saw it on TV. Right. There's one thing that I think is interesting when they, when they're uh, the way that they address sexual harassment in that show is um, cause uh, so at least in the first couple seasons, um, Mary's the only um, the only female, so she's surrounded mm-hmm. by men, and yeah. uh, what's his name, Clive Baxter, the the um, the main anchor man, is oh Ted Baxter, like, Ted Baxter. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he's he so is, great. Yeah, he is. Um, sorry, I'm getting texted at the same time. Um, I heard the he ding. Is, yeah, he's. <laughs> like a total idiot um but he's also (laughs) like a lot of times he will say things that are just like really creepy and awful um Mm -hmm. but the men around mary um will automatically like put him in his place like in a way Mm -hmm. that is just like he really is the biggest moron and they Mm -hmm. will like point it out um so there's this really subtle protection of Mary against anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I noticed it most in that same episode where they're talking about um, the, um, the sex episode that, or the, the, the sex IQ um, Mm -hmm. documentary that she had done the night before um, because, you know, obviously everybody is talking about their scores 
Um, Mm -hmm. And he's so, you know, he's like trying to ask her what her score is and she brushes him (laughs) off and um, like he's like nudging the other guys uh, like, you know what I mean, right? And the other guys are like rolling their eyes like, yeah, I think the entire state knows what you mean kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So they're like, they're all protecting her. Um, and there's, mm-hmm. uh, like, she's talking about like, the phone calls that come in. Like, there are people who are for it, people who are against it, and then there's the obscene calls. And one right. of the sports guys, um, who I I, re- I can't remember his name in, in the show, but I recognize um, the character, or the guy who plays the character is the dad and of uh, the woman in Coming to America. Um but he like picks up the phone for her at one point and starts like answering as her um Mm -hmm. and uh like he's fielding two different obscene phone calls at the same time (laughs) and is just like yes i'll just take these on for you kind of thing and i just thought that that was really cool that is cool. I when I worked in hotels, we would get obscene phone calls, and they did nothing about it, which was really upsetting. Yeah, not even caller ID, which was our basic request. So, you know, it's nice when your coworkers are looking out for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I also like that her boss has is he has a fatherly role, and he mentions to her mm-hmm. on a few times that he, you know, tre- treats her and thinks of her as a daughter. Mm-hmm. But what did surprise me was the head writer, Murray, when in the first episode when they're introducing the characters and, oh, he's, you know, her desk mate or he sits in the desk right next to her and they're going to be working closely. I thought, oh, this is the romance that's going to happen. But as the show mm-hmm. progresses, mm-hmm. you see, like, he's really happy with his wife and his family and and they really are just friends. And I thought that was really mm-hmm. neat. That yeah. You know, you you hear a lot growing up that like men and women can't be friends. It's always there's always some sexual tension, but you can just be friends. Right. It's, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that with with almost all of uh, like all of the male characters that show up on that show as regulars. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. all very strictly platonic. Yeah, I like that. It's nice. Yeah, it really is. And it I, I get goes back to it just doesn't. Like, that's the only show that that does that, really. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it just doesn't happen anymore, and it should. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, there are more types of relationships than just romantic and familial, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's it. That's all there is. No friendships allowed. Um, yep. You're either somebody's that... daughter or somebody's lover, you know? Right, yes, exactly. Two categories, that's it. Yep. Um, or mother, um, I another, guess. Mother's the other one. Right. I, I, yeah, I guess you don't have to be a lover. You can just be a mother. <laughs> <laughs> you don't become a mother without being a lover, though. So, Yes, but there's a very clear distinction <laughs> in media. Like, like yeah, once you're true. a mother, like, your sex appeal has gone out the window. <laughs> yep, that's true. Except for, I guess nowadays we have MILFs, so. Right. But that's because nowadays anything is hot. Not that say that like mothers can't be, but it's just like there's now a, some sort of fetishy category for I think anyone. Yeah. But another thing that was 
that seems different about this show is that it's not centered around a family like the Brady Bunch or the Waltons. And mm-hmm. I think Bewitched, it's not really centered around a family, but it is her and her husband mostly, a relationship drama comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that, you know, it is more of a show about a woman and her career and her friendships and just life, which shouldn't be groundbreaking, but it was and still is. Right. Yeah, I guess, like, uh, Murphy Brown, like, we were talking mm-hmm. about, like, that That kind of came up as sort of the show that, like, came after that where, you know, a single woman is able to, like, have her show and, uh, you know, have her, um, for Murphy Brown, she was a reporter, mm-hmm. so she, like, had her own show and, like, she had her career and was able to focus on that and... Um, there isn't a whole lot of romantic stuff um, there. And then it, you know, there's the whole, like, like Dan Quayle moment where she has a baby out of wedlock. And, mm-hmm. like, the series, uh, it's, like, the audience abandoned the series, like, once she had, um, once she had her son, which I kind of find interesting um mm, yeah and because really... she's now a single mother yeah right um and trying to find the balance between the two things it's like well people don't it, like i said people the audience just sort of abandoned the show after that that was sort of mm. it's considered like the jump the shark moment for for the show um because people don't like you shouldn't have to like you're okay going after a career um but once you have a baby you should like stick home and stay with your baby kind of thing yeah you can't Um, have both right um so (laughs) i think people like i think like executives and things have kind of shied away from like the woman as uh you know their own entity kind of thing Mm -hmm. like i said it goes back to like shows now you have to have a romantic interest like that you have to like the the tension always has to be with with a man in the light in their life and trying to find love in their life uh, like while they're pursuing their career like you can't just have a woman just being her own entity right if that makes sense <laughs> it's unheard of we're not allowed <laughs> right we have to fit in we have to fit in a very specific box. But another thing with Mur- Murphy Brown that interests me is that, so the Mary Tyler Moore show ended in 1977, and Murphy Brown didn't start until 1988 and ran for 10 or 11 seasons. But what was happening in that decade between those two shows? What was on television then? I didn't do research. I should have. Um, well, I mean, it I- was, yeah, it was a lot of, like, family-friendly programming like um uh, like a different world in the cosby show and mm-hmm. um uh punky brewster and um uh mr belvedere alf like <laughs> sorry you right. can clearly tell i'm an 80s kid <laughs> <laughs> you know um but it really was uh like family friendly um like i can also think of um maybe more 90s like my two dads and Mm -hmm. 
like perfect strangers like see none of them like none of them are female led in the same way like the only one that comes close is punky brewster um mm-hmm. and she was you know a little kid um right. like blossom is another one that i can mm-hmm. think of that was another like like early to mid 90s late 90s kind of thing um yeah. I mean, Roseanne's the only, uh, Roseanne is up there too, but again, you're talking about, like, the whole thing centers around her family. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because this is a pattern we still see today that there's a really popular female-led television show or movie series or or what have Mm -hmm. you, and then, for whatever reason, studio executives and producers and all, all the people yeah. who hold the the bags of money are like, but we don't think it will sell, even though there's proof right. time and again that it yeah. does sell. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, if you're going for, like, if you want to think about sort of ensemble women, like, there's, like, Golden Girls, obviously, mm-hmm. and Designing Women um, were both really good at having, like, independent individual women with their own personalities and their own characters like sort of interacting with each other as Mm -hmm. really good friends and not always as antagonists um and then you know that sort of reverted to sex in the city you know where the whole thing is like centered again on carrie finding a man and Mm -hmm. like yeah (laughs) But um, Golden Girls and Designing Women both started in, like, the mid-80s, so uh, yeah. uh, kind of right before Murphy Brown, so it, it's interesting that it's like there was um, a five-year delay in, in replacing the Mary Tyler Moore show in any capacity. Right. Yeah. Do you have anything else about the content of the show? Because I'd like to talk about some behind-the-scenes stuff, too. Uh, yeah, go ahead and go to the behind-the-scenes cool. stuff. <laughs> so I would not have even noticed this had I not done this research, but the show also had a lot of women writers, which is still not common now, but for the 70s to have a third of the writer's room being female is pretty impressive. It took them yeah. three seasons to get there, but they still got there, which is pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. But I wonder, like, I don't know. I guess, I guess, you know, we were talking about, like, where we left off in the show. And the show is pretty, um, pretty intensely, like, feminist kind of, mm-hmm. like, ideology, I guess, um, uh, on its own. Um, but knowing that, it's, that's also when, um, like, you see that's pretty close to when you see Betty White's character show up mm-hmm. and you start seeing a different side of like that extra different side kind of, of woman, I guess. Yeah. Um where it's like Rhoda's still very much like she's in pursuit of a husband. Like she doesn't like mm-hmm. being single. Um right. and Phyllis is the opposite of that where she's you know, happily married, has a daughter, but she's, like, going the, uh, like, Dr. Spock, um, like, raising an independent child, like, Mm -hmm. you know, hippie-ish kind of thing. Super Um, hippie. Yeah. uh, (laughs) 
so I mean, you've got you're still sort of playing with those two things, and then you have, uh, and then like once more women come in the room, y- you have this very sexualized character show up mm-hmm. without without making her a villain. If right. that makes sense, like I, the show, mm-hmm. the show really doesn't have any villains. That's another thing that sort of pops out to me. Uh, oh like yeah, you have that's these, a really good point. The, you have these, yeah, you have these people that have quirks, and there are things that you know writers now would play up and like mine for all the tension that it's worth um, mm-hmm. until it's exhausted to the audience. Um, yeah. But there's no like. Each episode is like there's there's somebody that's like causing a problem for the main character, but it's very sort of light and fluffy and yeah, <laughs> you can. Just... I mean, I guess you know it's yeah. a, it's supposed to be a situational comedy, so that makes sense. Right. Unlike mm-hmm. Friends, where some of the tension was just that like Ross and Rachel were not getting along, right? Which was mine forever. right (laughs) yeah in this one it it will be like someone broke into her house and then you find out oh it's because or her apartment and find out later it's because her apartment's super easy to break into and that's the plot is like her replacing her stuff and how she deals with with having nothing in her apartment anymore um yeah but yeah it's still amusing but i did notice after doing this research and then watching the show is that you do see the name, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Treva or Treva Silverman a lot in the intro credits as the writer. Mm-hmm. And she won two Emmys for her work on the show as a writer, which I thought was cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Girl, po- girl power. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's still kind of, like, it's still kind of unheard of for female writers to win Emmys. Mm-hmm. Even in this, even in this time and age, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting too because we think of writers for sitcoms as, you know, a full room with, like, a showrunner or a head writer, and right. I think she became a head writer on the show, or maybe she just became a permanent writer. I'm not sure if she was a head writer, but still, I think that's pretty neat that that they can attribute particular episodes to her yeah enough to win an award yeah that's really cool yeah and then you have like the opposite now where mindy kaling like had to have her writers like advocate for her to get her you know to get credit for her work on what was it the office the office it was was the office yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's great that that her fellow writers did that, but you also shouldn't have to request credit for work you did. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Should just give it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's see, do we have anything else that we feel is super important to, to, to touch on before we wrap it up? I don't think so. I think we're, I think we did pretty good. (laughs) I think so too. I will share a quote from the Washington Post. It's not a quote, actually, because I took it took a lot of random things from the article. But this will sum up how groundbreaking the show was. 
So the Washington Post has an article that points out five ways the show revolutionized women on television. One, she was single. Two, she went to work. Three, she had sex. Four, the show employed female writers, which we just mentioned. And then five, the supporting characters were allowed to share the spotlight. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that last one is a good point, and we didn't mention that, but she is surrounded by her friends, and they, they are allowed to have their own arcs that aren't just supporting Mary's story, which which is really right. cool to see. Right. Yeah. And they're they're definitely three dimensional characters. I mean you can talk about them from um like the perspective of, like I said, Rhoda um being the mm-hmm. single one and Phyllis being the married one and mm-hmm. um uh sorry, Betty White's character being the, the super sexual one. Um mm-hmm. but they have they have their different modes and their different personalities and and they're not cardboard characters just there to serve Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have their own stories, which yeah. I do really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, where can people find you if they want to find you on social media or just online? Uh, Yeah, so I am on Instagram and on Twitter as Waking Daydreams. That's usually the best way to reach out to me. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. That's where I reach out to you. Just kidding, I have her email. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. Thank you for joining me for episode six, all about Mary Tyler Moore. And yeah, I think that's it. We can say goodbye. Alrighty. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to do this. (laughs) Yahoo! (laughs) Thanks, Amanda.